Good morning. Welcome. Uh, I'm Sam, and welcome to you guys watching online as well. Can, can you join me and um, pray? Uh, I've just come back last night from uh, a big camp, and so pretty tired. So hopefully uh, I don't put you guys to sleep. So let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you uh, meet with us this morning? Would you uh, challenge us? Would you um, speak through me and speak to us in a, in a way that is relevant and real and, and life transforming? Lord, we're, we're here to, to meet with you, to glorify you, to be a part of what you're doing, be a part of your kingdom building enterprise. Lord, we, we're so thankful to be called sons and daughters of you. And uh, Lord, we come here today simply because we want to be in your presence and uh, we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, well, um, so was, there's a story of a, a lady who was watching the news um, when suddenly she saw on the news article that there was this, a, 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 a person was driving the wrong way down the highway. And um, she was. Uh, she looked at the where the, the highway was. She's like, "Oh, my husband is. Um, he uses that road. He's probably coming home from work right now. I might give him a call and just let him know that you know it's it's, it's someone who's going the wrong way and to, to give him a heads up, a bit of a warning because she was a bit concerned. He's a l- little bit older and um, bit bit frail. And so he, she she rang him and she said, "Hey, you know, just want you to know there's someone who's driving down the long wrong way of the road. Just be careful." Um, if, you, if you see the driver, just be, show extreme caution. And he responded, uh, you've probably heard this a few times, uh, but uh, it's not just one person, there's heaps of them, they're everywhere going the wrong way. So, um, yeah. Look, I mean, I think um, there, there are a few universal truths in life um, that said that uh, there's always going to be death and there's always going to be taxes. It's kind of a universal truth that there is. But I think there's a third one, and uh, there's a third one that we're going to make mistakes. And uh, we're going to make lots of mistakes, and many, 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 many mistakes. As you get older, you accumulate a, a giant list of things that you could have done better or, or completely differently. And uh, I think it's really... Uh, today we're, we're talking about overcoming failure, and it's significant because sometimes along the way we might make a failure or we might make a mistake that is life-determining and, and it sort of defines you and it defines me. And we, I've made heaps of these uh, life-altering, defining moments. And uh, they, they ha- have a habit of holding us captive. And so we're going to talk about today how do we overcome these life-altering, significant Failures in life that we will make in life, as certain as it is. Uh, but the, the beautiful thing, and I love the Bible, the beautiful part about the Bible is how raw the Bible is. See, so you, you open cover to cover, it's, it's a book full of real stories of real people who make real mistakes. It's, it's not a um, hypothetical, hey, this is uh, beautiful, you can be, all be perfect. No, that doesn't encourage us. That doesn't, there's no relevance in that because we're not like that. Uh, but God, in his, in his majesty and sovereignty, uh, he still works in a broken, hurting world. And uh, that gives me great confidence. And I, I love the Bible because there's, there's someone for everyone. And what I mean is in the Bible, as you turn the pages, you'll, you'll discover people that are like you and me and are broken. 
and who've made mistakes and have made huge, colossal, every possible failure you could possibly make, there's someone in the Bible. And that is great news for us because God is working in their story and God is working in your story today. So no matter what failure is hanging over your head, God is wanting to work through your story and he's wanting to bring you back into his purposes for your life. So that is fantastic news, isn't it? That's fantastic news, that, that, that failure doesn't have to define us. And there is a really good side of failing. And uh, let's, yes, the clicker works. And uh, the good side of failing is this, is it forces us to rethink. Uh, failing, uh, if someone has a heart attack, um, I've, I've had lots of coffees with lots of people who've had heart attack, and nearly all of them have come back and said it's the best thing that's happened to them because it's changed their lifestyle. It's forced them to rethink their lifestyle, their habits and what they do. And uh, it's, it's not a nice thing to go through, but it's something that is forcing them to challenge the way they've behaved or the way they've acted and their, the way they live. And so there are some real positive sides to things failing because it forces us to stop and think. It, it, failing is fantastic because I realise that I'm not God. And that's a really healthy thing for us to be continually reminded that in my failure, in my mistakes, I'm not God, but he is. He is good. He is in control. I am not. And, and, and the more I try to control my world and control my things outside of God, uh, the more I kind of find that failure is a really healthy reminder that I need to work with God. And he's got a plan and purpose that far exceeds anything I could come up with myself. Failure is great because it helps me stop uh, trying to be in control, to micromanage my world. Because when I do, inevitably, I fail. And uh, I just keep coming back. And so I'm a slow learner, and uh, maybe you're a slow learner too, but the, the beautiful thing is that God, his grace doesn't ever run out. Inside, whatever failing I'm going through, his, great is great. his grace is greater than my failings. And he keeps forgiving and he keeps restoring me. And uh, that's a God we serve. And that's why we love him so much. Uh, the be- another one about failing. I'm trying to sell failing here so we can go away and think, how good is failing? Yes! Um, failing is a process of revelation that our plans are not God's plans. Every time I fail, it's a reminder that my plans are not God's plans. And it's a revelation that happens through failure. And so we don't intentionally try to fail. It's not a good way to live. And I don't think any of us is that stupid enough to actually try that. But uh, through our failure, it's a constant reminder that God's plans are so much better than anything I can come up with. Failures, setbacks and mistakes, they can forge us. And I love this. They, they, they can grow in us. They, the fruit of the Spirit can grow in us through them. And so you often find that the, the hardest parts of life are the times that you've actually grown the most. And I love the picture, you know, on a mountaintop where everyone wants a mountaintop experience, but nothing grows on top of a mountaintop, does it? But in a valley, in a valley where it's like, ah, oh, it's scary, it's hard, things are, are horrible, things aren't working out, you see luscious green growth. You see things starting to come together. And, and it's likewise in our failings, in our mistakes. If we, if we respond to God and walk in humility, we can turn those seasons into seasons of growth and development. And it's not wasted years. And so I'm excited about failing this morning. 
Uh, but not, not because it's about me, but because it's about God. He is a faithful God who always keeps coming back. And he's a God who invites me to know him and to love him in spite of all my failings. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up on a couple of people who uh, in some ways have some significant failings or perceived failings. And uh, we're going to um, read them this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to flick into John 1.35. Did I just kill it? I think I just killed the internet. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read it from here. Um, there we go. John 1.35, The next day John was there again and two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And I want to put pause there for a moment because I think it's significant that this is John the Baptist whose his life ministry was getting disciples. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, there's the Messiah. There's the one we're looking for. And his disciples all left him. And I wonder, you know, what sort of would have been going through his mind, you know, what he'd worked through, worked hard for, and developing people, and he was just, they're all gone. And I think it's an interesting place because it would have been very easy for him to feel like a failure. Like, what, what is the point of this? But when you take a step back and realize that his job was to point people to Jesus, his job was to point people to him, it changes and redefines what failure looks like and it becomes a success. So maybe sometimes failure is a failure because we're using the wrong measuring stick to measure it by. And sometimes we we can go to, hey, is something big and working well and lots of people are are events successful because there's a lot of people that turn up. If that is the case then we're going to be really, our sense of success is defined by who turns up. But there's, there's something so much more that God is wanting us to do. His plan is that people would come to know him. And so John the Baptist, although he lost his disciples, he was a success because his purpose, God's purpose for his life was point people to Jesus. And I think that as a church, that's our purpose. So if our church gets smaller and, and the kingdom grows, that's a success story. Now, of course, we don't want that. We want to grow. and We want to be an influence in society. We want to see people grow and develop. But the measuring stick we use for success needs to be in line with God's plan. Failure doesn't need to define us. So success at the expense of obedience is, is actually is truly failing. And we turn to verse 38. It says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? So Jesus saw these two disciples leave John, John the Baptist, and follow him. And um, does anyone grow, grow up, grew up, has anyone grown up maybe, um, with the idea that um, Jesus was just very polite to everyone? Like I always had this back in my mind that Jesus just used the, the best manners possible. You know, what would Jesus do? He would say, please and thank you. And um, he would he'd really, you know, and I'm sure that he, he was very respectful, but he seems to be quite blunt sometimes. And I love that, that kids clip that we just saw uh, that, Jesus, that God tells us what we need to hear. And uh, the question Jesus says to these two disciples is, what do you want? Imagine someone just decided to give up everything to follow you and to be your 
minion or to be your supporter, to be your, your friend, or to, and, and you just turn around and say, what do you want? And I don't know how it's said. I don't know if it's said, what do you want? You know, or it's like, what do you want? You know, there's different ways we can read into that. But um, I, I think that the heart of it is, is that God is, uh, Jesus was challenging their motive. What's the heart behind following him? And I think that's a significant question. It's a very big question. And uh, I think the question is, uh, what are we following? Are we following, as we, as we fa- work through overcoming failure, are we following Jesus because we have this idea that life will get easier, that life will get better, that I'll be richer, healthier if I follow Jesus? Or are we following Jesus because we've fallen in love with him? And so I think this is a difference in how we answer that equation, how we answer that question. And I love this, their response. So we can fail to follow, and many of our failings and mistakes uh, come about because we aren't actually following. And I think Jesus' question to them is, what do you want, is a question that God asks all of us as we follow Jesus, as we seek to, to know his will, is what do we want? I, I think often... We, we come to, to Jesus and we come into a relationship with the wrong motive. I think all relationships are a bit like that. You know, when you, you find your significant other, and um, I, I guarantee your motive isn't always pure. Your motive for getting married is not, you know, I'm going to just have, a, have this opportunity to love and, and um, give this person everything they want. There's, there's something in me that's a selfish part of me is what do I want out of this? And I think it's a challenge for us as we grow and mature to realize that none of us come to Christ with a perfect motive, but as we grow, we learn to fall in love with him. As we spend time in his presence, we discover that he is an amazing God who loves us, he's faithful, he's consistent. And every time I fail, he's there and he picks me up, he doesn't condemn me, he restores me. And we start to fall in love with him. And I love the response of these disciples. Uh, they said in the next verse, I'll try to click it. There we go. Uh, they said, uh, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went out and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And I love their response. Their response was, Where are you staying? And I think that's significant because, you know, in, in a season of change and transition that they were going through, changing their, their new allegiance and changing the allegiance to Jesus, their response was, oh, I just want to be in your presence. And I think in, in, in this season of, I don't know what next week, you know, tomorrow we might get a COVID update and we don't know really what's going to happen um, over the next day, week, month, year. And uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of change for us. Some of us are leaving jobs, moving. Um, there's always change. Change is a constant in our lives. But through it all, that this, this idea of being in God's presence, that they just wanted to be with Jesus. And I think uh, that is a significant step in overcoming the trials and tribulations and failures of life is being in the presence of God. I just want to be with him. And um, I, I love holding my wife's hand. I think it's, it's, it's really romantic, but it's also economical. As we go through shops, I don't want her to go into. Uh, but it's that presence, you know, like I, I just love being with my wife. And um, it's, it's a really cool picture. But, you know, if you've, you've with someone that you, you fall in love with, 
it's, it's just being around them, you fall in love with them, right? But then you're around other people that you kind of, doesn't matter how much time you spend with them, you're never going to fall in love with them. And you've got, probably got a few of them in your mind. But God is like the perfect person that the more time you spend with him, the more you fall in love with him. He is good, gracious, compassionate, merciful. He picks us up and restores us. And so when we spend time with him, we fall in love with him. It's our heart's natural response. And so sometimes we, I sound like a broken record as we keep encouraging us as a church to spend time with God. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. And then you fall in love with him. And then you want to, you want to be obedient. You want to do his things. You want to be part of what he's doing. Because it's a natural desire. You couldn't think of anything worse than not doing what he wants you to do. And so it's that spending time abiding in him is so key. Uh, Verse 40, Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. I am so grateful for the Andrews in our world. The Andrews are the people who intentionally bring people to Jesus. And I think that some people seem to have a knack and they just, they just want to bring other, other people to experience the goodness of God. And I think all of us are called in some way to be Andrews, the people who see connections and see people who, are, who have a longing to, to have that connection with God. And it's a constant challenge for all of us. I mean, we can all say that we, we could do that better. But I love having Andrew. He's a real inspiration. But uh, Jesus looked at him and said, uh, to, he's talking to, to um, Simon, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Uh, Cephas is Aramaic and Peter is Greek, and they both mean rock. And so this is guy, the introduction, Jesus just turns to them and he's blunt and he's like, not, hi, how are you? How's the weather? Uh, where have you come from? How, how's being John's disciple? Is it, you know, is it pretty good? Well, you might find it a bit harder with me. You're probably going to die a painful death if you follow me. Um, that wasn't the introduction Jesus gave. Jesus said, hey, you are Simon, but I'm calling you to be a Peter. And I'm calling you to be something different. And I think that the significance in that is that sometimes we need to leave who we were to step into who we're called to be. And, and failures can define us. They can define who we were. And as we overcome our failures and mistakes, we can step into who God is calling us to be. But sometimes we have failures that are so significant that they can take years and years and years and years for us to overcome, to step into who God is calling us to be. But it doesn't necessarily have to have time. See, God is the master healer. And as we turn to him and he heals our heart and he restores us and puts us back together, we discover a purpose that he's calling us into. But sometimes it's a new identity. Now, you notice that not every one of Jesus' disciples got a new name. If I was one of the other 11 disciples, I would have been dirty. I want a, I want a new name. Like, Mum and Dad, sorry, Samuel is a good name. I like it. But there's some really cool names out there. I uh, wouldn't want an upgrade. And, um, but not everyone got a new name. But for Simon, it was a significant thing of his, God's plan for his life was, was different and he needed to leave who he was to step into who he was called to be. And uh, that is for, for us as a church, as, as believers. As, there are things in our lives that are, that are holding over us. There's always something. And as we journey with God and the Holy Spirit does a work in our life of us overcoming those mistakes and failures and restoring us so we can be effective and uh, be a part of what God is doing. We can be overcome by failure. 
Um, Peter had not failed him yet. So right at the start, Jesus said to Peter, hey, you are, you, you are Peter, the rock. Even though he hadn't done anything, he wasn't a rock at the time. Peter was a very um, spontaneous, passionate, uh, made lots of silly mistakes. He spoke before he actually thought, I, I really feel like I resonate with Peter. He's, he's, he's my person in the Bible that I'm like me. Um, he's really passionate and um, does a lot but doesn't really think things through. So, um, but I love it. You know, God, God called Jesus. He called him who, who he is to become. And I think that that's a beautiful picture for us is that God doesn't look at our past and think, you bad person. You know, when your dog does something and you rub their nose in it, God doesn't do that. He's looking at who he's calling us to be. And he has an awesome picture and a plan and a new name for us to step into and a new identity. And uh, that, is, that is amazing. That is worth spending time in his presence to discover. See, Peter wasn't the only one who failed. Peter wasn't the only one who failed Jesus. You know, we have another disciple who made a significant life-altering decision and he betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus when he was asked about him and Peter denied him. He betrayed, denied. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus and denied his, his Christhood and betrayed him. Both these two individuals uh, had a significant life-altering denial experience and they made a big boo-boo, big mistake. And Judas tried to rectify it. He took, went back to the high priest and said, hey, I actually didn't, you know, he's actually a good guy, you know, don't kill him. Um, and the priest is like, Bleh. and uh, Peter made a big mistake. But what was the difference between Judas and Peter? See, we, we can pick up in Scripture that Judas found Jesus useful. Peter loved Jesus. There's a difference. Judas was looking after the money. He, there was a usefulness of ministry. He, he saw Jesus as useful. But Peter loved Jesus. And I think there's a significance in life as we follow Jesus. We can, we can often see Jesus as useful. And if we see Jesus as useful, we're going to be thrown by failure. We're going to be thrown by our mistakes. When things don't work out, when our expectations don't work out, we're going to be thrown by that. But when we, when we fall in love with Jesus... It changes everything. It changes everything. And so after Jesus died and rose again, Peter is still feeling miserable, sorry for himself. He's, he's, he's out. What does he do? He goes back to what his old life was. And we pick up that in John 21, verse 3. I'm going out to fish, so and Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So the other disciples are like, yeah, let's go with this. And uh, so they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And, uh, we're gonna, and then in between, there's about 10, 10 verses that you can read, but I'll skip through. Jesus told them to throw the nets out and they caught a massive catch. And then they realized it was Jesus. And uh, then they had breakfast uh, on the beach. And uh, verse 15... Okay. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And it's such a beautiful but raw picture. Jesus didn't come around Peter and say, it's all good. It's interesting, if, 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 if someone had failed, and my natural response, if, if one of my kids, hypothetically, had failed me, um, my response as a, as a dad, I would be like, oh, no, it's okay, it's all good, um, it, let's, let's move on from it. And uh, what we see here is a very different response by Jesus to Peter. The, the response is, is not about um, God and his reaction, it's about Peter and his reaction. You see, in a space of failing, God didn't come to Peter and say, hey, it's all good, we'll just move on from this. In a space of failing, Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? He asked a question. He was actually, Peter was a bit offended, a bit insulted. But it was a response and a return to intimacy that overcame the failure in Peter's life. It was a choice. It was an active step. And as, as, as people in the world, as we make mistakes, it's an active step that as we make mistakes, that we take steps into intimacy, intimacy back into the Father's love. And it's a choice for us to choose to love God. See, sometimes it's, it's, it's all we receive everything from God. We receive his mercy, his love, his grace, and everything. But here we have a, a very different picture, a picture that, yes, that's true. Whilst that's true, that we receive so much from God, it's a choice for us to actively respond and love God. I love the picture that love is a verb. It's an action. It's a doing word. It's not passive. It's a response. And it's something that is, that is significant. See, after three years of following Jesus, Peter had nothing left. He was hurt. But Jesus sought to restore him, to, for him to overcome his failure by Peter acknowledging his love for him. I think that's a beautiful picture of overcoming. We, we overcome failure by responding to uh, the Father's love. Um, last night, I just got back from Jens Camp, and Jens Camp is a far, it's like grade 8, 9, 10 um, camp that, that we run, that have been part of for about 10 years. And uh, it, it's great. It's a scripture union run camp, and it's awesome. We have lots of crazy things. We, we built air rockets and made a whole lot of awesome things that you'll have to talk to me a lot later about. But um, uh, during this Jens Camp, it was, uh, this one was specifically for fathers and their sons. And thank you for asking everyone. We had a cook's turnout. Um, it was an amazing camp. We had um, like a monsoon rain just decide to stay on top of our camp for a whole week, which was awesome. It actually made it really cool because it was all really muddy and um, boys love mud. So it was a really special time. But in amongst this camp, we have this part of it. We have a bit of a ceremony of, of a time where the fathers come and affirm their kids. And one by one, the, the, the dads and the boys get up and the dads just share their heart for their son and love and affirm them and build them back up. And it's, it, was, it was really powerful because it was Thursday night. 
seeing these big, burly, strong men brought to tears for the love and affection for their sons, and for the, sometimes for the first time, the sons hearing it and responding. But there was always a response. And when, when the sons heard the father's love for them, you could see it well up in their eyes, and they just wanted to respond. They wanted to return, and they, it was just a really, really powerful moment of seeing the love and affection return into a relationship. Sometimes we can go through life and our failures and mistakes, we, we separate ourselves from God. We separate ourselves from other people. But God would encourage us this morning to reaffirm that love commitment of following him. Return to the first love of God, loving God. And when we, when we take that step of res- responding to his love, we discover a desire that we didn't know we had. We discover that our failings no longer need to define us. Our mistakes don't define us. We discover a beauty in following him. See, love goes both ways. If love doesn't have both reciprocating response, it's not love. It needs to have both parties. And, And sometimes we talk a lot as Christians about receiving God's love. But there's an intentional part that as we overcome, that we step out and uh, step into forgiveness. We step, step into a place of re- being repentant and uh, reaffirm that commitment to him. And uh, look, it's a lot easier to be obedient when you're in love with the person that you're obedient with. And so I'd encourage us and uh, pray that as a church that we'd fall in love with him over and over and over again. Failing is not me- really messing up or making mistakes Failing, true failing, is not responding to the Father's love. Not responding to what he has for us. The guarantee the love Peter had for Jesus. I can guarantee that Peter had so much more love and affection for Jesus because of his failings and because of the restoration. God was faithful. Jesus is faithful and responded and he responds to us today. He wants us to respond to him. Peter was restored. In John 21, 17, uh, we, we see Peter restored into his purpose. He wasn't finished. And in Acts 2, we, we read about that straight, soon after Peter was restored, he preached a killer message. Um, and a th- over a thousand people came to know Jesus because of that moment. So Peter became the rock, but it took a failing experience for him to discover the intimacy of Jesus. And so in our failings... I would encourage us to go to God, discover that, reconnect that intimacy with him and uh, experience what God's purpose for us is. One of the things about being a dad is I love when my kids make mistakes and they're repentant because you get the best hugs. And I I love my kids, but I, I love it when they come back and they're like, teary-eyed and sorry, and it's just that, that reconnect. You come back stronger. You build back stronger. And maybe you've got relationships in your life that have been fractured, that failures and fears have defined them. And maybe God is putting someone on your heart today that you're, he's wanting you to step into and to love and reconnect. And whatever that looks like, that we have that response of loving. We're called to love. We can't understand it all, but we can respond. Today, your heavenly Father is looking in your eyes and says, you are loved, you are called, you are enough. But he's wanting us to respond to that. 
Uh, I'd like to invite the band up and uh, I'll just close. I'd love to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that love is a choice, that we are called to respond to you. Lord, that no failure needs to define us. It needs not uh, overcome us and overpower us, Lord. Uh, But we have freedom in you, that as we make mistakes, Lord, that we keep that intimacy, we keep that response of loving you, Lord, that this love overshadows and overcomes all that will seek to rob us of our purpose and our peace. Lord, so today we just pray for your presence, that we choose to be with you, even though we might not understand what's going on, the uncertainty of the world around us. But we would not let failings define us. So Lord, we just invite you now. We invite you and we want to commit to you. We want to commit to loving you through the storm. We want to commit to spending time with you through the chaos. Lord, would you challenge us this morning in your precious son's name. Amen.